Thank you so much, Pete. Um, I'm not exaggerating when I say that the faith of KXC is just resounding all over the world. That's not an exaggeration. And so it's a privilege to be here tonight. And um, I want to share with you a few things from um, Mark 9, the story of trans the transfiguration. So what I'd like to do real quick is just um, read that text to you, and then we'll get going. So if you have a Bible, Mark 9, um, if you don't, just however you are able to receive or take in a bit of scripture or text, do that now. So I'm going to read it to us, and then um, I'll pray. Uh, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with them and led them to a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from this cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. And as they were coming down off the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man was risen from the dead. And they kept the matter to themselves. Verse 14, and when they came down the mountain, off the mountain, they came to the other disciples, and they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. And as soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet Jesus and the, and the, the three disciples. And Jesus said, what are you arguing with them about? And the man in the crowd said, teacher, I brought you my son who was possessed by a spirit that would rob him of speech whenever it seizes him. It throws him to the ground and he foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, becomes rigid. And I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Jesus said, you unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long should I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. And so they brought him the boy. And, and when the spirit, this evil spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. And he fell to the ground and rolled around foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? And the dad said, from childhood. And actually, it's often thrown him into the fire and the water to kill him. But if you could do anything, please take pity on us and help us. Jesus said, if you can, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately, the boy's father said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. And the spirit shrieked, convulsed and violently came out. And the boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive this demon out? And Jesus said, this kind can only come out by prayer. Lord, bless your word. As we get into it now, in Jesus' name, amen. The reason why I want to reflect on this text with you this evening is because this text begins and starts in ecstasy on the Mount of Transfiguration, and it ends in utter 
chaos when they come down off the mountain. Do you notice that? They were on the mountain where like literally Jesus transfigured before them and Moses and Elijah was there and they get off the mountain and it's just tyrannical chaos. The disciples are arguing with the scribes. The scribes are arguing with the disciples. There's a man who has, a, a boy who is a demoniac who's possessed by a demon and it's like, cast him out. And we couldn't cast him out. And the scribes were like, well, I told you you couldn't cast him out. You guys are just frauds. Like, we're not frauds. Jesus is not with us. I mean, it's just chaos. And Jesus steps right into this mess. And he's like, what are you all arguing about? And then the story carries on. I want to talk about this text tonight because I think that this story is our life in miniature. It captures the ups and downs of life, how one moment you can feel like you are literally on top of the mountain, on top of the world with God, and the next moment you, moment you are plunged into despair. This is life. And, the, and more often than not, life feels like coming off of the mountain rather than living on top of the mountain. There's a very famous book by a therapist called M. Scott Peck. It's the book is The Road Less Traveled, and he starts the book with these three words. Life is difficult. And you got, he has credibility right away because he gets it. You're like, this, this book gets it. I wanna keep reading because this person, you're hooked right away because he gets it. He goes on, he says this. This is a great truth, one of the greatest truths. Most do not fully see this truth that life is difficult. Instead, they moan, they moan more or less incessantly, noisily or subtly about the enormity of their problems, their burdens and their difficulties as if life were generally easy, as if life should be easy. He says life is a series of problems. See, a lot of us are either so shocked by our problems or working so hard to ignore our problems or so badly trying to climb the mountain to get away from our problems that we don't know how to face our problems. Now, I'm not coming here today as someone who's mastered facing their problems at all. I have my own. But I've made enough failures ignoring my problems that I think I have something to say. But more important than that, I think this text has a few things to teach us about living through life's ups and downs, through life's ecstasies and through life's problems. So I want to talk about three lessons that we learned from the mountain that will help us when we're into the chaos of the valley. Does that make sense? Three lessons from the mountain. Lesson number one, we need mountains. We need mountains. We need mountaintop experiences with God. It says in verse two that Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up to a high mountain where they were all alone. Now remember, and stories like this, and throughout the Bible, mountains are not just mountains. You understand that, right? Mountains are not just like, oh, just a physical mountain. It was a physical mountain, but it means more than that. Mountains were where you were closer to God because you were higher in the air. Mountains were a place of, of revelation. Mountains were, throughout Scripture, a place of encounter with God, a place where God called people up to the mountain to pray. This was a high place. Mountains signify something. Mountains mean they're holy places, places out of the ordinary, places that are closer to heaven. And the way, when Jesus leads the disciples, he leads them up the mountain because it was a place of pilgrimage, a place of being alone. Jesus often went up to the mountain to pray. Now, this is the mountain where the disciples get revelation. They get clarity and they encounter the glory of God in Christ. Where the, Jesus, the veil that cloaked Jesus' humanity was porous, and they got a glimpse of who Jesus was, who he truly was in his power and glory. And I wanna, I wanna say that we need this. We need moments of encounter with God, moments of wonder and glory, moments where the finitude of our problems fade away and there is only God, where we encounter God and 
And it feels like all of the problems that we have in life just like fall away because we're in the middle of God. We're like, anything is possible with God. I'll go anywhere, I'll do anything, anything is possible. We need these moments where in the, in, in the presence of God, the, the, our deepest questions get answered by God. Now, it's no coincidence that the disciples got this revelation from Jesus right after Caesarea Philippi. When they were in Caesarea Philippi, Jesus um, does that famous thing where he says, who, who do people say that I am? And say, you're, you're this, you're that, you're this. And then who do you say that I am? And say, you're the Christ. And Jesus said, you're right, I am the Christ and I'm going to a cross. And if you're gonna be my disciple, you have to follow me to the cross. This was so disorienting. This was so disorienting to the disciples. They thought they were following Jesus to a throne. Now, you probably know all this, but imagine, I don't, I don't know if you've ever gone through in your life with God a disillusionment, where your illusion of what you thought the Christian life would be or who you got, thought God would, God shatters that illusion, he disillusions you. That's a good thing, by the way. That's a really, disillusion's not a bad thing. Disillusion's a good thing, where he shatters what you thought was what life of faith was, and he reorients you to, to, to what it really is. This is what was happening to the disciples. Jesus was disillusioning them. He was disorienting them on purpose, and they, their world was upside down. Their world, they thought life was about being, being with Jesus, going to Jerusalem to ultimately ascend for him to be the Messiah, the king, and it was being undone in a matter of minutes. And so they needed this mountain, they meet, needed this mountain to gain clarity, to gain perspective. I think of the great American prophet and hero, Martin Luther King, who partly because of uh, his famous last speech where he's on the mountain, he said, I, I've been on the mountain. I don't know if you've ever heard of the speech and I've seen the promised land. But before that moment in a sermon called God is Able, Martin Luther King, the Reverend Martin Luther King, talks about when the threats of his life started to build because of his work in racial equality and justice in America, and people began to call bomb threats into his home, like, we're going to kill you, that sort of thing, all sorts of threats, and he started to fear. He began to lose that once confident hope that he had in God. He lost perspective, and fear was taking over. So this is his sermon. I'm going to quote it to you, and I won't do it nearly as good as he'd done it, obviously. <laughs> But he says this, I was ready to give up. I was in a state of exhaustion. When my courage had almost gone, I determined to take my problem to God. I bowed, I prayed aloud. He said, God, I'm here taking a stand for what I believe is right. Now I'm afraid. The people are looking to me for leadership and if I stand before them without strength and courage, they too will falter. I'm at the end of my powers. I have come to the point where I can't face it alone. And he said, at that moment, I experienced the presence of the divine as I had never experienced him before. It seemed as though I heard an inner voice saying, stand up for, the right, for righteousness, stand up for truth. I will be at your side forever. He said, at once, my fears began to pass from me. Then the outer situation, the outer situation remained the same, but God had given me an inner calm. Three nights later, our home was bombed. Strangely enough, I accepted the word of the bombing calmly. My experience with God had given me a new strength and a new trust. I knew now that God is able to give us the interior resources to face the storms of life. That is what I'm talking about. This moment with God where you get clarity and you get perspective and he gives you a kind of inner fortitude, an inner strength that you can face all of life's problems. These are the moments that we need. Moments with God in clarity and fortitude. And this is what the disciples needed. It's interesting. When they go up to the Mount of Transfiguration, they meet Moses and Elijah. Now, 
I have no idea how they knew that it was Moses and Elijah. Like if they had name tags or something or satchels or whatever. Like I have no idea how they knew, but they knew Moses and Elijah. Now, why was it Moses and Elijah? Some people say, well, it was the law and the prophets and Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. And that's true and that's good. I think the, the most pastorally like fitting answer to the question, why Moses and why Elijah, is because these two people, met with God at crucial periods of discouragement in their life's mission. And they met God on a mountain, and not just any mountain, this exact same mountain, Mount Horeb. Elijah, Elijah, if you remember, he uh, was a prophet of God. He was standing literally in the place that God told him to be, and he gets very discouraged. And sometimes people that are really close to the heart of God are prone to discouragement, like depression, and he went to this, this moment of discouragement and depression where he thinks he's alone. He starts to self-loathe, which is every pastor's Monday morning, basically, right? <laughs> True story. And he's like, I'm alone. And he's start, starting to self-loathe. And he runs. He's scared. He's depressed. And he runs away. And then God tells him to go up to the mountain. He's in, on, on Mount Horeb, the same mountain that they're on right now. And God says to him, you're not alone. Go back and give yourself to your mission. I want you to anoint Elisha. I want this person, this person, this person here. You're not alone. I've, I've raised up all these people. Go and fulfill my mission. He's encouraged and strength in a moment of where he thought he was weak. Moses, the same thing. Moses was so tired of leading the people, complaining to God, God, if you don't, if you don't go with this, I'm not going, because these people are, are driving me crazy. And God meets him. He calls him up to this mountain, the tent of meeting, on this mountain, same mountain, exact same mountain, and God tells Moses that I will be with you and my presence will go before you. My peace, I'll show you my peace and I will show you my goodness. Now go. I think that they were up there because these were two men like Peter, James, and John who needed a moment of revelation and clarity on this mountain to carry on their mission. Now the question is, How? How do we have these encounters? Lesson two, we can't make mountains happen. You can't make them happen. What I mean by this is you can't just encounter, you can't just make an encounter with God just happen. Notice that it's Jesus who leads them up to the mountain. They didn't just tell Jesus to go to the mountain. He's like, you come with me to the mountain. Now this might not be that encouraging because we would like nothing more than to put these moments on our calendar, like a good chiropractor appointment, like a good therapy session, like. Tuesday, 3 p.m., encounter with the living God. <laughs> Boom. And I just immediately access, like, I just have, we, we love to do that, but life with God doesn't work that way. It's a bit more mysterious than that. Now, how do we get these, this, these times? I think that there's something that a strong tree, a good surfer, and these disciples all have in common. And it's being in the right position. A strong tree will grow if it's planted in the right place by a stream or by other trees or a place where there's good sunlight. If you, anyone here surf at all? Do people do that in like Cornwall? Anyone? No one? Okay. Not one person. One, two. Okay, good, good, good. If you know anything about surfing and you don't, so I'll tell you. <laughs> surfing, you can't make the waves come. You can't just go, I'm going to go surfing now, and you can't call waves like you would call your dog or something. You can't, you can't do that. You have to be, and you actually, you have to know where the wave breaks in order to be in the right place at the right time. 
So you have to know, like, I'm going to pad out here. I'll go there. The wave actually breaks here. And this is where I'm going to get on the wave. I'm going to ride it here. You have to be positioned rightly. This, these disciples committed their lives to following Jesus. So when the time was right, Jesus called them up to the mountain. What I'm saying is getting in the right place at the right time is an art and a discipline. It is an art and a discipline. Like a wave, you can't make them happen, but you can get yourself ready. You can build in habits and rituals and patterns in your life of following Jesus, meeting with God, placing yourselves in these moments where they can happen, whether that's early morning prayer, late evening prayer, Sunday morning church, Sunday evening church. You repeat this pattern. Will it be like this every single week? Probably not. But there might be one week where a prophetic word happens, a moment in God's presence happens, and it changes everything. It changes everything. So getting yourself in position over and over again is so important. Lesson three, we can't live on the mountain. You're not allowed to live there. Now, verse five, it says, Peter, uh, Peter says, Rabbi, okay, by the way, Peter never knows what to say, but he says it anyways. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's really horrible. He does this over and over and over again in the Bible. And he says, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And then Mark puts in parentheses, he did not know what to say. <laughs> they were so frightened. I, I think I love this. Mark's just like, yeah, it sounds dumb, but he didn't know what to say. So Peter wants to build houses for everybody, right? He's like, let's just, this word here is tabernacle, right? He's like, let's just stay here. Let's just like live here. He's like, give it, like let's build a house for you. And, and the implication is, well, there's a couple implications. Old Testament implication is where does glory go in a temple, right? That's where the glory, where does the glory of God go? It goes in a temple because it's sometimes it's scary and unmediated. So put it in a temple. But what he's really wanting in context is to stay there. He, he doesn't, he knows if he goes down off this mountain, Jesus said he's going to a cross, I don't want to do the cross. I don't want you to do the cross. I don't want anyone to do the cross. Let's live here. You're glowing. You're glowing. I'm, well, I'm glowing. Let's just stay here, right? This is where they want to live. Now, we tend to over-spiritualize life and say, we want to live here. We want to live in God's like unmediated presence forever and ever and ever. But the thing is, this is not what God wants. Not right now. He loves meeting us on the mountains, but he says, get back down to real life because that's where the work needs to be done. There's a mission to complete. Jesus has a cross to bear. The disciples have a world to tell. My, my secret place in California is a place called Big Sur. It's like rugged coast meets ocean. And every single time I go there on a, like a spiritual silent retreat, I... I literally open up my phone and try to buy land there to live there. Like every time I'm like, why don't I just live here? And so I find myself Googling. I'm like, what if I just lived here and drove to San Francisco every, you know, and every single time it's like, no, this is not where you're, you're meant to live in the chaos of San Francisco. You're meant to live right in the middle of this chaos to your, I want you to come to the mountain, but this, you have to live in the chaos. You had to get down, back down to real life. We all need mountains, but we can't live there. In verse 7, it says that a cloud appeared, and, a, and whenever a cloud appears in the Old Testament, that means God's coming. And so the cloud appears, and then God says, this is my son whom I love. 
listen to him. Now, he says this right after Peter talks, and I think God is saying, Peter, shut up. I think that's kind of what's happening. It's like, just listen. Just don't talk. Listen to him. But this also is a point of like confirmation that Jesus, him saying he's going to the cross, is right. Listen. Follow him. Also, it's encouragement. It's like, this is all part of my plan. I'm doing this. This is what's going on. Follow Jesus. Listen to him. We need moments in God's presence where the hard things don't feel so hard and we're lifted higher to see the greater purpose. I was recently reading my personal prayer journal from uh, 13 years ago. You know that KXC planted the same day Reality San Francisco planted, the same day. I mean, you did it before because it's time difference, but <laughs> you're technically older by like, like twins by like eight hours or whatever. But it's but we'd, same day. And as I was reflecting and going back and reading journals from that time of planting the church, I, I had written in my journals um, during the time of planting the church that I think I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die here. Like, there's no way I can do this. I'm, I was so discouraged. I was so um, overwhelmed by the, the, the immensity of the task before me. And I was journaling. I, I, don't know what, what, I don't know what God's up to. I can't believe that God's called me this. I'm literally going to die. I'm all alone here. There's no Christians here. Like like, kind of like sounding like Elijah. And then I would I'd turn the page and I had written an update like a few days later, sometimes the next day, sometimes a week later, of how God had met me and how God had changed my perspective and how there was courage again. And I had to reread this again to remind myself when I am overwhelmed that God does have moments of encounter where he shifts perspectives. I need to remember that. I need to remind you of that, that life is difficult. This life is difficult. And what God calls us to as his followers makes life more difficult. It really does. Following Jesus makes life more difficult in many ways. I don't think, sometimes we're not told that. Like following Jesus in holiness is more difficult. Now, the peace is better. The reward is better. The joy is better. The purpose is better. But it's more difficult. What God has called us to is more difficult, but it's worth it. There's no better way to spend our lives. But this is the, the perspective. This thing only happens. The perspective only happens when we're on the mountain. Yeah. 